everyone, and welcome back to American Redemption. This is episode six, and today I'm here with Stephen and our special guest, Johnson. Yep, Johnson here, and we have a case against liberal democracy. This is our voice reveal. Uh, I know we said we were going to reveal the voice at 5,000 followers, but I guess we'll do it a little early. So without further ado, we're going to start by defining our terms. Democracy is, we're all pretty familiar with it, a system of government in which laws and elected officials are decided by the majority vote, which, by the way, is very cringy, and we'll explain why. But specifically, we're arguing against liberal democracy, which means uh, we would strive for everyone to be included in the system. For example, in ancient Athens, it was democracy, but it was not liberal democracy because there were extremely stringent requirements over who could vote. We're not primarily arguing against democracy, although we don't prefer it, but rather we're presenting a case against liberal, expansive democracy. Yeah, democracy can work in certain circumstances, like very small groups, like in a, uh, like in a group of families who are making a settlement or something. And a key distinction there is that all those families should have the same interest, whereas in a large country, there's many varied interests and democracy is not very effective in that case. That's right. And we'll see later that in the Federalist Papers, James Madison discusses that democracy is only suitable for an extremely small town or, uh, as Andrew said, a group of families. So to get right into the crux of the argument, we're gonna, we really rely upon the biggest philosophers that the world has ever known, the smartest philosophers philosophers the world has ever known and it's the idea that as a society we gain nothing by expanding the vote we hear a liberal fairy tale about democracy but it's a total platitude if you ask the average democracy enjoyer what he thinks about democracy he'll say when everyone has a hand in the voting process everyone comes together and gives his or her opinion and when we have everyone say we magically get the best outcome but Thinking about this for more than a few moments will let you know that it's totally false. And the reality is that we only gain value by granting votes to new people if the new voters are conscientious and morally upright. And we know that the vast majority of liberals place an extremely low value on family values, on nationalism, and etc. So they are not going to be conscientious voters. Essentially what we have today is the United States seen as a big, huge bag of money. And so new voters come in and they just vote for their own interests. They vote for more immigration. They vote for policies that don't favor the family. So these new voters are not conscientious. So essentially, we'll never gain anything by expanding the right to vote because it only invites less qualified people to have equal say in election. Therefore, as we can get from many of the major philosophers, which we'll refer to soon, stringent voting requirements are imperative for success. Yeah, it's very interesting that we always hear the platitudes about our democracy from people who are not conscientious and morally upright. I hear Kamala Harris mo- like whining about democracy all the time, and she has to be one of the most corrupt politicians ever. It's always that kind of person who cares so much about democracy. So you have to wonder, what's she gaining from all that democracy. Yeah. Uh, I like to look at it from the perspective of 
the George Carlin quote where he mm-hmm. talks about your average person and he says, think about your average person and then 50% of the population is dumber than that person. So if you're looking at your average Joe, 50% of the people are dumber than him. You already have a, a majority of the country. All of the elections come down to 49 to 48 50 to 47 there's very very small margins with the way they they gerrymandered and just the way that the country is set up so yeah that George Carlin quote's great really sums it up yeah we really enjoy a quote from our one of our least favorite philosophers Karl Marx (laughs) if you want to share that Stephen yeah Marx says democracy is the road to socialism that's all we need to know end of of podcast (laughs) And Aristotle says, republics decline into democracies, and democracies degenerate into despotisms. Very base quote. Aristotle, one of the best philosophers of all time. So, take it from him. Yeah. And we'll get into some more philosophy later, but we should talk about how this was relevant in the 2020 election. How there was this big, huge push to add mail-in ballots in other words, making it unreasonably convenient for people to vote. We know that everyone spends their effort on something. What's that Bob Dylan quote? Everyone has you got to worship someone. Everyone's you got to serve someone. Yeah, something serve something someone. to that effect. Everyone spends their effort on something, whether it's uh, video games, taking your kids to sports practices, going to sports yourselves, watching television, making sure you watch The Bachelor every Wednesday night or whenever it goes on. So it's entirely reasonable to expect someone who cares about their vote to invest one, two, maybe even three hours of their day once a year to vote in person. If someone doesn't care enough to invest that time one time per year, then that individual has no place voting. Clearly, we need to change the way we do allow people to vote. Our entire society is structured on hierarchy. We, we know inherently that Certain people are suited, better suited for different activities. And with the vote, we've thrown this out. We have no hierarchy for voting. It's very bizarre. But I think we should. There's no reason everyone's vote should be worth the same amount or that everyone should be able to vote at all. One of the first things we'd like to do to fix this is to raise the voting age. There's no reason like a 20-year-old college student should have the right to vote. They just don't know anything. That includes me. I don't, I'm, I'm 22, I don't need to vote. I'd raise it to 25, 30, maybe, and I would let veterans vote as the exception because they've proven that they care about this country, have good values, and can be conscientious if they are willing to put their life on the line for the nation. Then sure, yeah, obviously they can vote. But your average Joe who is just out drinking on a Friday night and getting poor grades at a very easy university, why should they the right to vote and also voting is not a right I'm misspoke there it's a it's privilege, a privilege. Yeah. there are three rights life liberty and property and voting is not a right it was really a dirty trick by the leftists with I believe the 26th of 26th amendment to lower the eligibility for voting to 18 years old and we always hear the quote I'm old enough to serve my country not old enough to vote and we hear that now with regards to drinking but that's how they lowered the voting age to 18, which is very important that we noted that we would give an exception for military members and veterans. Because uh, if you're 18 years old, 
and you're willing to put your life on the line for your country, I, I would trust that you can be conscientious enough to cast a vote. But we still, for the average citizen, would prefer you to be at least 25, perhaps even 30, to vote. And that would mean Johnson wouldn't be able to vote, but that's okay. For the greater good, I would relinquish my right to vote. Very honorable. Yeah. No, no a, uh, an informed citizenry is, is crucial. I honestly think the last election has proved that our citizenry has become very uninformed. I don't think they can be very, informed. Very I don't think it's possible for like the wider population to be truly informed. You can't expect everyone to, to really make a conscious, conscientious decision. People can't be expected to know what's going on in Washington 24-7. That's, that's partly to blame because of the big swamp in D.C., how convoluted politics have become. But it's yet another reason, because we can't expect everyone to make a good vote, we just shouldn't allow everyone to make a vote. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's slowly starting to trickle down to our uh, local politics. I think people have finally started to realize that they can have a voice in their local politics, mostly because other people aren't engaged yeah. necessarily at all. People showing up to, to school boards, running for uh, city council. That guy who won the vote in New Jersey, spending like $150 on his uh, campaign, that was pretty Yeah, that's cool. He was just the like... the best thing to do. Yeah, he, he literally just ran his campaign saying, I'm not this corrupt politician guy. I drive trucks and... Yeah. yeah. And it's an honorable man right there. You know, if we did have fewer people voting in federal elections it wouldn't really matter day to day because ideally we'd have much more power in the local and community and state level so people would be able to get involved in their local government and their community and they wouldn't care about what's going on in Washington as much it just wouldn't matter to them that's right the disordered state of our country is to blame we think that it's supposed to be like this where we vote for federal politicians and we're supposed to be keeping track of what's going on in all 50 states and what's going on everywhere. But really, we should be focused on our families and the local level and we delegate our state representatives to elect senators for us, which did happen before the 17th Amendment, which, in case you don't know, before the 17th Amendment, senators were voted upon by the state legislature, but this amendment made it so that the people directly vote for senators, which... I believe we just shouldn't expect the average person to know who should be the best senator. Yeah, no. this, this is a bad amendment. We have the House of Representatives to represent the people directly. Senators are meant to represent the states. No, yeah. that, that's absolutely right. And that's really a workaround that was yeah. done by the, the federal government that gives people the illusion that the, the federal government makes up the, the states and not the other way around. The states make up the federal government. Yeah. So by those representatives appointing senators who were supposed to be better men by our constitution being the, the upper chamber of, of of government. They were supposed to be appointed by the people, represented by the people. So let me think how I want to break this down. The people elect their representatives. The people did a good job electing their representatives. So the representatives as a whole will pick the best uh, senators. Yeah, I think you stated that beautifully, that we've, we've been given this illusion that the federal government makes up the states instead of the states making up the federal government. 
Another point about it being an illusion that just occurred to me is that democracy in this country is really an illusion of power for the people because what it really is is power coming from lobbyists. They're the ones who are having, they have much more influence than the people. We only get to vote on which lobbyist we, we like more, really, if you, if you look behind the scenes. Pretty much. No. Little known fact that senators and representatives don't actually write the bills. It's all written by lobbyists. They all are, um, they're all assembled on what's called K Street. If you look, look up K Street, it's just the letter K in street. It's where all the lobbyists meet. And that's why we have these bills, which are often thousands and thousands of pages to make them convoluted and they can sneak in all these little laws that, that they would like to be put in because their pockets are getting padded by the major corporations. That's why our government is so corrupt. But that's a topic for another episode. Yes, it is. Well, fortunately, we still have the Electoral College. This is one of the last undemocratic and I think quotes, it's extremely dangerous to our democracy yeah very common it's stance actually <laughs> probably the last standing pillar of the uh, the republic if we want to be uh, honest about it yeah it is, they, yeah they haven't been able to change it really at all I can't think of any other branch of the government that hasn't been affected the electoral college is, is very good um, it's one of the only things that's kept us from completely losing hope in election time. Alexander Hamilton was the mastermind behind it, and if you read what he wrote in the Federalist Papers, you get really get a great understanding of why it's so important. It's not at all the uh, antiquated system that the liberal media would have you believe. It was a well-designed system based on timeless philosophical principles to make sure that every person in the country, every state and every region had their interests and, uh, at least considered by those running for positions. In Federal 68, Alexander Hamilton wrote that talents for low intrigue and the little arts of popularity may alone suffice to elevate a man to the first honors in a single state, but it will require other talents and a different kind of merit to establish him in the esteem and confidence of the whole union. So he's basically saying that it's not just going to be a, a popularity contest in the very large population centers for president. They need to consider the needs and conditions of people in all different parts of the country. And they can't just put on a show and win the election. Yeah, I think that's a big point that you make with the popularity contests in all of the last recent uh, elections. All the urban centers are inherently liberal and 2016 uh, really was the situation where the average citizen in, in the Rust Belt working class towns really rejected the uh, the premise of the, the liberal worldview and said no we want to try something different and in if it was a popularity contest uh, according to the tally, Donald Trump would have lost. But given the Electoral College and the coalition of states electing him, the the, the states as a whole won over the popularity contest mm-hmm. of the entirety of yeah. the uh, of 
the system. Also, the fact that you lost the popular vote is irrelevant because his electoral strategy was based on the Electoral College. If, if it was a pure popular vote across the entire nation, the campaigns would have changed their electoral strategy and Trump could have won a popular vote as well, but that wasn't the goal. It's 50 individual elections, and that's how they decided to run their campaign, with that in mind. Yeah. yeah. So here's a good analogy that we get from Socrates. It can apply to the Electoral College, but also democracy in general. So Socrates gives this analogy in the form of a ship, but to make it more relevant, we'll talk about an airplane. So if you're going to fly on an airplane, how should the crew and pilot be decided? Should everyone vote who should fly the plane? Or should you have qualified professionals who, whose job it is to appoint pilots make the decision? So one might argue that voting could give a good outcome if we can be certain that authentic information would, would be put out and that every voter would make a conscientious decision. But in our political system, there's no way we can be certain that all the information is authentic. There's propaganda everywhere, misinformation everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's, there's political ads, people lying everywhere. And not to mention, on the airplane, nobody wants to die, so nobody is going to purposely sabotage the vote. Nobody's going to vote for self-serving interests because the only interest they have is surviving on the plane. But in an election, there are so many self-serving people who want free handouts in the case of people who vote for more welfare. There's people who just want to vote for policies that help them as individuals. And there's so few people who actually just make conscientious, conscientious decisions because they love the country and they want what's best for it. So this is perfectly relevant to the Electoral College because we want people deciding a presidency who love the country, who can make conscientious decisions not just any old person who thinks they deserve a vote and want to say. No, I think this is possibly the best analogy ever because the people who talk about our democracy would fly on a plane any day of the week, not knowing who the pilot is, putting their headphones in, reading their newest magazine about some celebrity that no one really cares about what they did, <laughs> and they go through life doing that in that situation when they're flying on a on a plane but they would never put two and two together about the elections and about flying a plane they would they would never put the two of those together no, it's, it's the npc mindset to uh, celebrity worship to read your magazine listen to your headphones and just believe in the fairy tale that if everyone casts their vote they're just gonna sing kumbaya and get yeah it's so funny season. to me every election season when like all the democracy cringe liberals are like, I don't care who you vote for. As long as you vote, everyone should register to vote. The more people that vote, the better. No, you don't think that. You definitely don't want me voting if I'm voting against you. And I don't want you voting, but that's mainly because you are not conscientious and you have bad values. It's true. And so this really becomes a battle in politics because most people lack agency and we just can't expect everyone to know what's going on. We can't expect everyone to be perfectly informed. So our quote-unquote democracy and our quote-unquote republic, because we've strayed so far from being a republic, but we're not a full democracy, it's become a battle of buying votes with influence and with propaganda. And in, in effect, expanding the vote 
dilutes the voting body so that the proportion of people who are going to make conscientious, conscientious decisions are a lower proportion because there's just so many people voting. And eventually those people don't even matter anymore because they're just a minute proportion of the voting body. It's really the, the tyranny of the majority. That's what we can call it. Yeah, that's what the founding fathers warned against. Yeah, so so just to, to hammer in this point, I'm going to read off some of the biggest, biggest donors in politics. So number one is, is the Adelson family, Sheldon and Miriam. Their contributions are over $218 million just in 2019 to 2020. Next is Michael Bloomberg at $152 million. Third is the Steyer family, Thomas and Taylor, at $72 million. And as I scroll down the list, there's so many people who donate tens of millions of dollars to politics, to politicians, to, to uh, enforce propaganda, to convince the average person who really doesn't have an interest, who the average person doesn't know what's going on in politics, but he or she sees an ad on television and says, oh, I want to support human rights. Oh, I want to support everyone being happy. So I'm going to vote for this person. When in reality, that's not what they're voting for. But they've been convinced that that's what they're voting for. So it really just becomes a battle of very wealthy people with sinister intentions preying on people who are uninformed to see who can convince the most uninformed people. Yeah, if you're getting your information from any of the mainstream news platforms, Fox or CNN, whatever, or just social media, and I mean, you're really just not qualified to make a, a good decision. That's true. But there's even subversive influences that we don't even realize. I pulled up an article here from the Epoch Times a researcher describing 10 ways Google, Facebook, and other companies could shift millions of votes in U.S. elections. And uh, a specific quote from here is he says, My randomized, controlled, and peer-reviewed research shows that when one candidate is favored in search results, that can easily shift the voting preferences of undecided voters by 20% or more, up to 80% in some demographic groups. My new research suggests that A, Google is manipulating opinions from the very first character people type into the Google search bar, and B, by manipulating search suggestions, those phrases that they flash at you while you're typing your search term, Google can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into an astonishing 90-10 split. If this can happen, it means that the vast majority of voters just don't know what they're doing. If they can be so easily influenced by a search suggestion, then we have done something seriously wrong, and there are many people voting who should not be voting. It's wild. It's a clear indication that people are not using reason if they're being swayed by these sort of tactics. Yeah, if you're doing a, uh, a Google search on a candidate a uh, couple days, a couple hours before you go vote, you're not a very uh, informed voter. That's just it's a serious problem we have. I mean, people talk about Google's influence. They, they have more power than mo most countries just by the amount of 
information they have, and and I I agree that that that's true. The manipulation that that they can use in their algorithms, but yeah, uh, and informed citizenry wouldn't put up with this. But unfortunately, uh, we don't live in that world right now. Yeah, and we have to note that this is we are not opposed to being pragmatic. We know that what we're talking about is very theoretical and striving for the ideal. So we want to play to win. We're going to win however we have to. And right now the reality is politicians can't just go out there and be honest and not accept donations. You have to play to win. And a lot of people are going to have to vote without being informed. But we're saying that in ideal circumstances, this this kind of behavior, this sort of system is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and we need to prevent this from sliding any further. But more than that, we need to try pushing back to our side, pull the rope to where we want it to be. When the left starts talking about lowering the voting age to 16, we should counter by bringing into the discussion that we want to raise it. In this situation, we're not only conservative, but we're reactionary because we don't only want to conserve the Electoral College, for example. We want to go in the other direction. We want to actively make it less democratic. And you can quote me on that. Well, by, by, by its nature... You're talking about being conservative, but we've already established through the, the podcast with the Aristotle quote that republics turn into democracies and democracies uh, divulge into despotism. So inherently, there's almost nothing left to conserve because we've went from republic to democracy and you argued that we're bordering on despotism. So there's really nothing left to conserve. You're at, you're at the bare bones. We, we talk about uh, an, an analogy. Uh, the, the the bones dry. You've ate all the, all, all, the, all the meat's been taken off of the the chicken leg. It's, it's true. There's there's nothing there. All, the all, bones all are you, dry. Bones are dry. The, the the wells run dry. Whatever you want to call it. There's there's nothing left. You just got to start shoveling water back in the well. It's it's yeah. the only yeah. way. This could be a whole episode, but yeah, we really are more <laughs> retrogrades or reactionaries, whatever you want to call it. We have to be if we want to play to win, but. Uh, there's no reason to be so defensive of democracy. It's kind of a, it's been brainwashed into us that we value democracy, but we don't. It's definitely uh, a ninth grade yeah. civics take. Yeah, it's a public school propaganda <laughs> thought. Here's a little shout out to our one of our favorite influencers, John Doyle. In one of his recent episodes, he was talking about how when you hear someone say something against democracy, if that causes like a little alarm in your head, if, if when I say we're not we're striving for less democracy, if that makes you a little uncomfortable and a little alarm in your head starts going off, it means that you've been indoctrinated into believing <clears throat> that democracy is this amazing thing, but maybe in some people's heads a holy thing that cannot be criticized. And so you should take a careful amount of time to reflect. Have you been indoctrinated? Why do you believe that democracy is right? Uh, hopefully this episode was able to make a convincing case for why democracy is not to be valued. Um, there are ways to, to fix this. We're not going to be able to completely eliminate the democratic elements of our society, but we can try to reduce it and limit it to those who are qualified. Okay, so what would we do to fix this? Uh, one idea is a competency test which would mean that I think I would think of it like a, like a citizenship test. If people coming over to this country have to take a test 
to prove that they understand our, our values and our system of government. Why shouldn't people who were born here, why do they get a, a pass just because they were born here? That doesn't mean they're qualified. Often means they're less qualified. People know nothing. We've all seen those videos of people on the streets being asked basic questions about our system of government and people don't know anything. People don't know who the current vice president is. They don't know what the uh, second house of Congress is called. They don't know anything and they get to vote. It's astounding. So there should be a, a test, a test on basic knowledge of American system of government and our philosophy and values. This is crucial. Raise the voting age just by limiting the number of people who are voting, young people specifically, we're going to raise the the quality of the voters just because older people are wiser. So you eliminate the rash young people, we're going to have better voting. To go really far uh, reactionary, to go back to the way things were, I think the ideal case would be one vote per family. That way people, only families could vote. And the reason for this is that you make sure that the people who are voting are not voting in self-interest. They're voting with their families in mind. They're voting, wanting their voting children to, to establish do well. a lineage. Yeah, the they have a vested interest in the future of the nation if you have a family. Whereas a single person is not thinking as far ahead. They're just not. Would you consider that similar to letting just like property owners to vote? It would be, but the relationship with property in today's society has changed. Uh, it has changed a lot. So if we were, you know, back in the, uh, I don't know, the, the 1700s and the way we lived was different, that could be viable. But in, in this particular age of the world, I don't think that's a good way to go. One vote for family is better. We would repeal the 17th Amendment for sure. So that would mean senators would be chosen by the state legislator instead of the people. And the 26th Amendment, which lowered the voting age to 18, would be eliminated. What's going to be our call to action? Give someone the cold hard truth about democracy. That's true. If someone brings up something related to democracy, you... You tell them it's cringe. Yeah, you inherently tell them that democracy is cringe, and then they need to uh, they need to read up on what our actual system of government is. Yeah, if you stick around to the end, we'll have a very we have a special interview with a very wise man about democracy. So stick around for that. But I think that wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, please share this podcast if you enjoyed this episode. That's the best way to support us. And big thanks to Johnson for coming on. He was excellent, very well prepared, very well spoken. He's our resident expert on why liberal democracy is cringe. That's right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. Of course. Anytime. Prepared, very well spoken. He's our resident expert on why liberal democracy is cringe. That's right. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. Because democracy basically means Government by the people, of the people, for the people. But the people are retarded. So let us say, government by the retarded, (laughs) for the retarded, of the retarded.